We acknowledge that we live and work on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that we benefit from the colonial structures and policies that remain in place today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people and recognise their ongoing struggles in dismantling those structures. During the First World War, strikes caused fuel shortages so severe that the Victorian government reopened the old brown coal mine near Morwell in the Latrobe Valley. And the state government has outlined a long-term plan to ensure the Latrobe Valley remains viable as its economy moves away from coal-fired energy. It's been the lifeblood of the Latrobe Valley for decades, but continual change in the power industry and the introduction of the carbon tax means it's time for a plan B. It's a month tomorrow since fire entered the Hazelwood coal mine in Victoria's east. Fire has been burning for weeks now, blanketing the township in a toxic smoke. The housing estates are literally just 50 metres away, so when the wind blows in the other direction, they take all of that in. The guillotine has finally come down on Australia's dirtiest power station, Hazelwood. It's caused jitters about electricity prices and raised questions about Australia's readiness for a low carbon future. We're not going to achieve net zero in the cafes, dinner parties and wine bars of our inner cities. The Latrobe Valley's coal mines could be filled with water and made into a tourist attraction to rival Italy's Lake Como. We are talking on Zoom, which is not how we normally do things, but we wanted to get this episode out super quickly because it has been a huge week in the environmental news world. Do you want to tell us what happened this week? For everyone playing at home, you would know that Josie and I are very, very interested in mine rehabilitation. And just this week, ONGI have released their environmental effects statement drafting scope. What that means is that ONGI, the, the team responsible for rehabbing the Hazelwood mine, they've released the scope of things that they need to assess before they can put their plans forward. And that is to turn the Hazelwood mine into a pit lake. Yes. So I don't know about you, but I definitely did not know what an EES was until we had the opportunity to talk to our wonderful guest today. The reason that this is really important and the reason that we're putting out an episode that's like Skypey, so sorry to your earballs, but we wanted to make sure that we had this out in time because there's only a very short window of time where the public, anyone in Australia, is able to put in a submission in order to have their say about what this scope is going to include. So we've spoken to two incredible people um, to help break down what exactly an EES is why it matters and what you can say or a little bit of like we've got some like hot tips at the end about what you can say in order to put your submission in so that you can ensure that what is sort of figured out from here won't be the worst thing ever and I think that's what we all probably want (laughs) it's not the worst thing ever so I guess Steph just do you want to set up quickly like why this is so significant like I know on this podcast we've talked a lot about like the fact that this mine, uh, the Hazelwood mine is particularly deep and that um, brown coal is not in in fact the same as the other kinds of coal. And so we can't just sort of map on to how other people have rehabbed their mines, but this is at least the starting place for maybe the scope of what the report may do to then maybe rehab the mine in the future. Right. So specifically, let's start with the Latrobe Valley and Gippsland communities. This is really significant to us here because the way that the Hazelwood mine is going to be rehabbed is probably going to be replicated across the two remaining mine voids that we have. So that means that we could possibly end up with not just one um, toxic pit lake, but three potentially. Like 
all of the environmental factors are a little bit different for each one. Um, but it's very significant here, and it's it's significant because of the environmental repercussions for not just Latrobe Valley and the people of Latrobe Valley, but it flows on the water flows all the way down to the Gippsland Lake. So this could affect the whole this whole region very widely. I reckon let's just get straight into it. We want to keep this short and sweet. We do want to point out to anyone who doesn't want to listen to a whole 40 minutes that you can just jump to the show notes below to get the link to the EES uh, place where you can kind of put your submission in. And we've also included the resources from Environment Victoria and Environmental Justice Australia to try to make this as easy and straightforward for you as possible. Share it with your friends. Tell people about it because genuinely what you have to say will make a difference when this is taken into consideration. And that's what we explore with our two incredible Smarty Pants guests today who helped us understand everything about an EES. Steph, do you want to tell us about who we spoke to in order to make this all make sense? Sure. So Josie met up with the incredible Chloe Babcock. My name's Chloe Babcock. I am an environmental lawyer. Uh, I work at Environmental Justice Australia and I work on issues um, related to water pollution and air pollution. And I've been doing a lot of work with Latrobe Valley community groups on the issue of mine rehabilitation. Chloe Babcock grew up in regional Tasmania. She is a public interest environment lawyer at Environmental Justice Australia, working across Wurundjeri and Gunnikurnai land. She's been involved in the environmental movement for several years and has worked with organisations such as Friends of the Earth and Climate for Change. Chloe has been working very with the Latrobe Valley community to minimise toxic coal pollution and to hold environmental regulators to account. We also spoke to Bronya Lipsky. Bronya grew up on the Gunnikurnai land known as Latrobe Valley in the town of Moi. Her grandfather worked at the Hazelwood Power Station and her father was a dump truck driver at the Yalorn Power Station until privatisation swept across the valley's power industry. She is a lawyer and currently working as a policy and advocacy manager at Environment Victoria. So my name's Bronya Lipsky. I'm currently working as the policy and advocacy manager at Environment Victoria. Environment Victoria is the peak and I believe the oldest environmental not-for-profit advocacy organisation in Victoria. So I'm their chief nerd and I spend a lot of time talking to bureaucrats and ministers about the things that I think that they're doing right or wrong as far as um, the community and the environment is concerned in Victoria. I'm a lawyer by trade as well. I've worked in the public interest environmental legal space prior to coming here. And so that's sort of my nerd qualifications, my, but I also have a personal connection to the Hazelwood um, environmental effects process and mine rehabilitation because I'm a valley girl. I grew up in Maui, all my family is still there. The men in my family lost their jobs when the industry was privatized in the 90s. I am of a generation of Latrobe Valley kids who lived there during quite bleak times when we didn't think that we had a future in our home area. And so, you know, I'm sort of part of the Latrobe Valley diaspora who who left um, because we didn't think that there was much for us in the 90s when we were growing up and leaving high school. So there's, I definitely have a, a personal interest um, and a professional interest in the mine rehab project. So the first thing that we wanted to find out, because I genuinely had never heard of one of these in my life, was what exactly is an EES statement and what happens from here now that these submissions are open? The rehab method that ONGI 
has proposed, which is to fill the mine void um, using the natural water sources to create a pit lake, is going through an environmental assessment, which is called an environmental effects statement or an EES. And that an EES is required where a project has the potential for significant environmental effects. So it's the most rigorous environmental assessment that we have available in Victoria. And it involves the company who's proposing the project, in this case, ONGI, to investigate the likely environmental impacts of the project and how those might be avoided or minimised. Um, so we're currently at the first stage of that process, which is um, where the government decide which studies and assessments um, and which alternatives should be assessed by ONGI. And they set that out in the document called the scoping requirements, which was released this week. It's really, really important because it outlines what studies and assessments ONGI needs to complete. And it will be really, really useful for the community when they're deciding whether they will support the pit lake option. And it will be really important for the government when deciding um, whether the impacts of the project are acceptable or not. So it's really important to keep to make sure that everything's captured in the scoping requirements and they're as broad as possible. Now that we know what the EES is, we need to know what happens after we make a submission and then what happens when the draft is actually published. So when, when somebody is proposing to do something as massive as rehabilitate a brown coal mine in the Latrobe Valley, there's quite often a range of sign-off that they need from different government departments or different ministers. An environmental effects statement is... Um, part of that process. It's certainly not the only part of the approvals process. It's really, it, it's sort of led by, well, it is led by the planning department. So it's the planning minister will have a project referred to them to determine whether or not the project has to under, be un, has to undergo an environmental effects statement. So what that means is somebody, quite often the the proponent of the project refers the project to the planning minister who then makes a determination as to whether or not an environmental effects statement is required. So the planning minister makes a decision about whether the project will have a significant impact on the environment that requires that comprehensive environmental impact assessment. The project requires the sign-off of the Victorian planning minister and also at a federal level um, by the Commonwealth Environment Minister. Um, they are responsible for assessing whether the project will have an unacceptable level of environmental effects or whether the environmental effects will be uh, an acceptable level or whether major modifications would be required to make the environmental effects acceptable. Really important to note um, that these ministers approving or making that decision isn't in itself an approval. Rather, it informs local and state governments and statutory authorities who will decide whether to issue the project with the permits and the um, consents and approvals necessary for it to proceed. So those decision makers, the second kind of level of decision makers, have to consider the minister's assessment in deciding whether to approve the project or to authorise the works. It's a lot. It's going to be a long process. From ex from experience with previous EBSs, they can take years. ONGI have published their own timeline. It's available on their website about when they expect the next steps to happen. So after this public submission period, the government will then take people's submissions. 
into account. They'll make amendments if they agree with people's suggestions and they'll release the final version of the scoping requirements. ONGI will then go on and complete those studies and assessments. And I think ONGI's estimate is that that will take um, about a year. Yeah, at, at the end of that period, the EES will be released to the public. The public can write submissions and participate in an inquiry. And ONGI expects that that will happen at the start of 2024. So, so it's a long process. Yeah. So one thing that we he- heard about in our previous episode with Rhonda was all about making the land safe, sustainable, and stable, which we love in alliteration. So we wanted to find out from Bronya, does the report adequately cover that? And this is what she had to say. The first thing to say about safe, stable, and sustainable is that that's the language of the Mineral Resources Sustainable Development Act. And one of the things I was thinking when I was reading through the draft scope of requirements is how that language is used by the proponent as what the outcome of what they're achieving is going to be. And the act says that, but the language that they're using is kind of spin. Um, we You can't just pick the language out of the act and spruik it as a thing that you're proposing because that's not necessarily what's happening here. We know that the mine needs to be left in that state, but what you're proposing may not actually be what the outcome is is that the the law requires you to achieve. So as far as safe, stable and sustainable goes, um, it's unclear. This is, you know, the government itself has said that this is a huge experiment. We don't know that what the, what ONGI is proposing is the most safe, stable and sustainable way to go about rehabilitating the mine. We know that historically, the mine operators assumed that they would have access to water for rehabilitation purposes. But as far as anybody is aware, and this goes right back to the Hazelwood mine fire inquiries, especially the second one that looked at mine rehabilitation, so many people were just thinking about assessing mine rehabilitation in the context of the availability of water. And that has, as far as the community is aware, as people who've worked on this are aware, there hasn't been the same kind of scrutiny or same kind of assessment applied to alternative ways to rehabilitate the mine. So the short answer to that is we don't know. We just know what we've been told by these people um, without any without any thorough, independent, genuinely independent assessment of what they're proposing to do. And I would say that that independent assessment is going to be the most important part of determining whether or not the mine will be or the mine rehabilitation once complete in the way that Anji would like to do it is safe, sustainable and stable. <laughs> yeah, so as it's as as the very high level outline suggests, it will be a massive puddle full of potentially toxic water. We don't know like nobody, nobody's going to swim in that. That is going to be fenced off in perpetuity. If they don't actually take the coal ash out of there and put it somewhere in the more appropriate um, landfill facility, if they don't, um, it, uh, it blows my mind actually the, the, the limited amount of water quality modelling that's been undertaken through this project so far. Um I, I will literally eat a hat, Steph, if that water is safe to swim in or use recreationally. Um, will it, does it mean, do, do, does 
does it mean that it will allow for farming around the edges of the mine or, you know, maybe Latrobe City Council can decide that they want to extend some residential zoning areas around it later on? Hard to say. We don't know if what they're proposing is actually going to be safe, stable and sustainable. Um, so it's difficult to say. I mean, they're, they're, those things that they're saying, like I said before, is the language that's used in the bureaucracy. So in the under the Act or under whatever else. Um, and so they can use that language, but only a scrutiny of what they're proposing will help the independent panel to determine whether or not the impacts of that are going to be so significant that it shouldn't go ahead or that it's going to be okay. But proponents will always say that what they're proposing to do is going to be fine. <laughs> and, you know, and Anji's not unique in this. And they've, you know, they've got a whole range of reasons, quite legitimate reasons to be saying, you know, what we're proposing to do is going to be okay. And it it might be, is the thing. But if we don't have really comprehensive assessment and independent scrutiny of what they're proposing, I don't think we can be reassured that what they're saying is anything other than what they would like to do because it suits their bottom dollar to do it in the way that they want. So within the current scope of the EES, there is not adequate analysis of what is going to happen to the coal ash. So in the current environmental effects statement scope, uh, there is not adequate coverage of what is going to happen to the coal ash that is in the mine void. So we heard from Bronya about what she thought about that. So some very important in federal environmental laws apply to this scrutiny, including what's colloquially known as the water trigger, which requires um, assessment under federal law if a proposal for a coal mine or a coal seam gas project is going to have a significant impact on water. And that having that included in the draft scoping requirement assessment process was absolutely fundamental to an assessment of this because it requires ONGI to think to undertake studies and 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 technical studies concerning you know what what is what does a full range of impacts look like if we're taking water out of a natural system and putting it into a giant pit forever what is the impact that that's going to have on irrigators? What is the impact that's going to have on the health of those rivers? What are the downstream impacts to the Ramsar listed wetlands of the Gippsland Lakes? And for folks that don't know what that means, it means that there's post the, the Gippsland Lakes are internationally recognised important wetlands. And if we take a whole lot of fresh water away from the Latrobe River, which is a really important tributary to the Gippsland Lakes, then what are the impacts of the lakes going to be? So that was something that was really good. And that, I mean, the fact that that's in there is a testament to the work that the community has done in the lead up to the release of these draft scoping requirements, which is phenomenal. It's the first time that a water trigger under the federal law has been applied to a rehabilitation project in the country. So this is actually really, really significant Draft scoping requirements, the, the devil is in the detail with these, which is why I had that caveat at the start. We've really got to go through and think about is do the scoping requirements outline as much as possible for stakeholders, so not just the community but also governmental decision makers, um, the independent panel to 
to understand what the impact of the project is going to be. And this is where third, well, what the bureaucracy or the legal community calls third party infam- or third party consultation. So people like you and I, various others, other experts, um, need to understand once that EES is released, what the impact of the mine is going to have. Ideally, the mine rehabilitation project is going to have. We don't want to be left with any more questions. We really want to understand once that document is released, what is the full suite of impacts that they're proposing um, will have and do we accept those impacts? So when I read through the scoping requirements, I'm thinking about, is there something missing here that will that I need to know to help me to understand what the impact of this project is going to be? And I can have a, there's some things that jump out to me immediately, particularly around the failure at the moment um, or a, a lack of an obligation to consider what water quality looks like if my if the ash coal ash dam's not removed or if it is there's some some of the wording around it because there is some requirement at the moment that onji will need to look at the impacts of the ash dam in there but there's no there's no counter inquiry around what does it look like if the ash is taken out and this is this is something that's quite often um present in a lot of environmental assessment across the board what is the have requiring the the the, the counter inquiry if that makes sense? So yes, look at what the water quality impact is going to be if you just cap the ash dam and then flood it. But you also should you also need to be looking at what the impact on water quality is if you take the ash out. Um, and similarly with other aspects of it. Um, so thinking about how to flip that stuff around and go well, is 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 knowing what the impact of not taking the coal ash out of the mine enough I actually want to know what it's going to be if you take it out because if you take it out and you undertake some other um under other activities that could potentially make the water more clean um then maybe you do have something that the community can use I highly doubt it As we were reading the draft scoping requirements, even though we have limited technical understanding, we could at least sense that there definitely didn't feel like everything had sort of been covered. And certainly for me, it was surprising just knowing that it was going straight for Pit Lake without sort of exploring other options. So when we had an opportunity to speak to our amazing guests this week, we wanted to find out what they felt was missing from the draft scoping requirements. The experts that we have spoken to so far have significant concerns about safety, not just in terms of stability, but in terms of water quality and contamination. Um, So the scoping requirements do go some way to assess, to require an assessment of water quality, for example, and geotechnical stability. Um, But what we would like to see is requirements that ONGI assess alternatives that could mitigate those risks and those likely impacts. For example, the use of alternative water sources or other options, apart from diverting the Moorwell River and letting the pit lake water flow through the entire river system. So some of the things that immediately stood out to me that I found concerning was flipping around some of the lines of inquiry to say, well, what what are the impacts if you actually take a more comprehensive remediation approach. So what are the impacts on water quality if there's no ash dam in there? What are the impacts of water quality if 
other things aren't achieved. The failure of the requirements at the moment to impose an obligation on ONGI to really thoroughly investigate alternatives is a huge gap for me. We need to be assured that of all the potential options that are open, and I would say that there's quite a few of those, like it's this could be as creative as it is an engineering or a technical process. The the We're limited by money, essentially. But has, has that been done? I don't think it's been done. From experts that I've talked to in other jurisdictions, like the United States, mining companies saying that the most safe, stable and sustainable way to fill a mine is to fill it with water. But you and I aren't engineers. The Latrobe Valley community, there are some engineers in there, but the majority of people aren't engineers who understand this stuff. So we take it at face value that what they're saying is correct. But we've also not seen any publicly released information that says we have thoroughly investigated why filling it with something else like dirt or whatever um, is actually going to achieve the same thing. Expectation on the part of mine operators in the Latrobe Valley that water from our rivers and creeks will be available to fill these things in an era of climate change is deeply outrageous. And I know greenies can use that word a lot, but we are talking about water that could feel the amount of water that's necessarily necessary to fill Sydney Harbour. That is such a huge amount of water. We all know who live there, how big the Latrobe River is and Mall River. It's it's just and I'm, I'm stuttering. Like this stuff actually makes me lost for words. I'm not often a person who's lost for words. But if you are proposing to use water from the environment to fill a pit that huge, then it, we have to when we're thinking about how we're going to communicate the impacts of this project, drag it through the coals, so to speak, so that it is. The, the there's no stone left unturned all the t's are crossed all the i's are dotted like we have to be looking at this as comprehensively as possible and no matter what we think at the time might be silly to put to the department about what they should require be required to think about we have to just we need it we need a it, it has to be as thorough as possible and it, the, the consequences for the environment, for the community are massive. Like this is not, this is not, you know, something that is going to go away. It's, it's going to be around forever. So to contrast what was missing, we asked what was covered well, and this is what Chloe had to say. Yeah, so... The scoping requirements do cover a range of really vital assessments on things that community groups on the in the valley have been pushing for um, for a long time, um, and that would include things like water quality um, assessments, assessments um, about the impact on threatened species, geotechnical stability. There's something that, um, yeah, certainly community groups have been and and people in the valley have been really concerned about, particularly. Um, yeah, along the highway um, closest to Morwell um, and and cultural heritage, yeah. When I went to the website, 
um, and had a look at what you actually had to do to make a submission to the scope. I found it extremely overwhelming. So we asked Bronya and Chloe for some tips on how to make a submission to on the EES draft scoping requirements. Yeah, so I would encourage people to include their personal stories about why getting the Hazelwood Rehab it, right is important to them. For example, do they live close by? Do they work in, at Hazelwood? Do they fish in the Latrobe River or visit the Gippsland Lakes um, each summer, for example? It's important to get specific. So what do you think should be added to the scoping requirements and why do you think it should be added? Um, and the more specific you can be, the better. But if you don't want to get into all, into the details, it's definitely still important to make a submission about your views on the project overall because it's, yeah, as I said, it's one of the two major opportunities to, to tell the government what you think during the, the AES process. Environmental Justice Australia, Friends of Latrobe Water and Environment Victoria have engaged a range of experts who have assisted us in analysing the scoping requirements and we've used their advice to put together a handy guide on what you might want to call for the government to include in the scoping requirements and that is available on all of our websites and um, on our social media as well. We're pushing for an options analysis to be included to require on G2 look into the technical feasibility um, and the technical aspects of alternative rehabilitation methods so that the public know what's what's actually possible at the site and the government can keep that in mind when they're making their decision at the end. We're also pushing for the government to, to include that study so that ONGI can assess community attitudes about the rehabilitation proposal and assess things like the potential for job creation of um, an economic benefit and potential future use, uses of the site in comparison to other rehabilitation options. We're also pushing for the scoping requirements to be amended to make it clearer that the potential impacts of the project extend well beyond the li mine license boundary as well as well into the future. So we know that this pit lake will have to be maintained, you know, in perpetuity and we'll need to have enough water to top up evaporation in perpetuity and we also want to want to make sure that that this all of the studies take the mine license boundary and everything every other impact that could happen down the river system and into the Gippsland lakes um, into account as well. We were also expecting to see alternative water sources specifically required to be assessed by ONGI, and that's something that the community have been calling for since the ES um, kind of was an announced by the Victorian government, but there's no mention of other water sources in the scoping requirements. The scoping requirements also cover the impacts on Aboriginal cultural heritage under the Aboriginal Heritage Act, but we'd like to see other Aboriginal values beyond the scope of that act being assessed, like, for example, um, impacts on native title rights and water rights um, being assessed. And again, that should extend well beyond the mine licence boundary um, to areas like the, the Latrobe River and the Gippsland Lakes. I have so many tips. The first one I would start with, though, is when you read the draft scoping requirements, because the purpose of the environmental effects statement is to help you understand what the impact of the mine rehabilitation project is going to be, that you feel confident that what the department is asking ONGI to prepare as part of its environmental effects statement will help you arrive at that answer. 
So if you read them and you're like, ah, oh, this I feel like something's missing here or this question or this aspect of in, this line of inquiry, it doesn't quite touch on the things that concern me, then put that into a submission and get it off to the department. The details for that are on the Engage Victoria website. You you need to, once this statement is complete, you need to understand what the impacts are. The other thing is just, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to be limited and don't be put off by the bureaucratic language. Like this is actually pretty good. It's in what's called plain English. There'll be some of the language in there is really technical and it assumes a base level understanding of the mine, mine rehabilitation, what does hydrology mean? <laughs> what does hydrogeology mean? Don't be put off by the some of the technical or bureaucratic language. Don't feel like you have to prepare any submission you make with the same language. Just go back to that question. If and when this assessment is complete, will I understand the impacts of the mine, mine rehabilitation proposal? And just put it in there. It doesn't matter what it is. You need to feel satisfied once the effect statement comes out that you understand the impacts. And if what's written in there doesn't help you arrive at that, then you need to make sure that the department knows. Environment Victoria, Environmental Justice Australia and Flow have all gotten together and they're going to share their resources with us. So please check our show notes for that and check all of their socials. Thank you to Chloe and Bronya for being so generous with your time. I'll also just add, I did my submission and it took me five minutes because I'm fast at typing. So it's not a huge ask. I think there's about three or four questions and a lot of them you can just sort of fill in yourself. It's like a big open thing. So it's not it's not too strenuous. So it's definitely worth taking a minute to take a look at it. The music for Coalface is by Anonymous420 and Loyalty Freak Music. The series is written, edited and produced by us, Josie Hess and Stephanie Sabrinskis. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Instagram at coalfacepod or send us an email to coalfacepodcast at gmail.com. Look out for the next episode of Coalface.